And you may be seated. If you have a Bible, Philippians chapter 4 is where we'll be, Philippians chapter 4. If you didn't receive it or, or pick it up, I guess you, you don't receive it, but uh, your communion cups are in the back. If you have not done that, we'll take part in communion at the end of the service. And so at some point you can go back there. That You don't have to be a member to do that. It's just you have to be a believer in Jesus to do that, uh, as we would believe here. Uh, so if that's you and you need that, uh, feel free to grab that at some point before the end of our service. Uh, we've been in a study of the book of Philippians. We've, we took a break last week uh, because it was Mission Sunday. And so we uh, preached on missions and uh, being the light, uh, the salt and the light of the world. Uh, and so we're back in Philippians introducing chapter 4. We saw that chapter 3 really talked about how to be a mature follower of Jesus. We talked about uh, how we are uh, citizens of heaven and the results of what Christ has done should absolutely change our life. That uh, he will one day, uh, he, he has saved us, he will one day, he is sanctifying us and will one day glorify us uh, into his image and give us a home in heaven that is worth living for. And so it should absolutely change our life. This week, Paul will really address uh, how to live a life of peace. And he starts uh, on how to live a life of peace, and he starts to look at what's within you. Uh, how do you live uh, within? And so we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. Paul's address that believers, chapter 3, the, the, we ended, that believers should be eagerly waiting for their Lord, that the results of Christ should, should absolutely change our life and change our demeanor. And now he's going to address a portion of chapter 4 uh, with uh, maybe how we can, uh, well, what, to examine really what's within us and how we are to live. But he starts with the idea of he, he, shows, him, he shows his cards. He, he doesn't just tell us in chapter 4 here, here's how you're supposed to live. He starts in verse 1 and he shows us his heart. Paul shows us, look at verse 1 of Philippians chapter 4, it says this, Therefore, my beloved, and longed for brethren, my joy, my crown, stand fast. So stand fast in the Lord. Paul addresses again. He, he, he longed for Philippi. He, he loved Philippi. He longed for the day we, we saw earlier in the chapter. They longed for the day when they'll be reunited again, whether in heaven and glory or here back in Philippi. He longed for the day. And he says, you're my joy. You're my source of happiness. He says, you're my crown. That's this, uh, this crown that you would receive after you achieve something in like the Olympic Games that Paul just simply says, hey, my heart is deeply affectionate for you. I love you guys, and, and you guys are a source of my joy. And, and he starts by revealing his heart. He revealed that Philippi had truly captivated and captured his heart. But this was not sinful of Paul. Paul Paul's, already, Paul's already talked about many times that, that what he longed for the most was Jesus. Whether, that, whether I'm here, whether, whether I'm here on earth and I'm going to live for him, or whether I go to glory, that's better for me. I, I long for the day where I'm going to be with Jesus. But there was something about Philippi that, that Paul says, hey, there's something special. There's a connection here. And what was it? Paul was simply just thankful that God was using him for the Philippi people. Like Paul saw this. Paul saw everything. He, he, his heart was captivated because he sees, hey, Philippi's changing because God was willing to use me. And, and I'm rejoicing. And he, so he says, look within. He's going to show us a few things that because Paul gave his heart to the Lord, the Lord could use him. And so Paul was thrilled with how the Lord used him. He says, my beloved, I love you guys. And so he says, stand fast in the Lord. 
And that's the only way to stand, right? Stand firm in the Lord. As the old song says, all the ground is what? Sinking sand, I think it was. That, that, that's all it is. So he says, stand fast in the Lord. And now he's going to help Philippi in the next few verses how to stand fast. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9, how to stand fast in the Lord. And he's going to really say it, it's starting within. That we would think it's get ready for battle, arms up, hands up, guns out, let's go. But he's going to focus on it. You want to stand fast? Look within. And we're going to talk a, bit, a little bit about the peace that we have within us or that we should have within us. And so the first thing I want you to see that Paul encourages us is this. Live in peace together. He says, verse 2 and 3, live in peace together. 2 through 5, really, it says this. Look at verse 2. He says, I implore Euthodia and I implore uh, Synthodia, however you say those names, to be of the same mind. I also urge you also, true companion, to help these women who labor with me together in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul's already addressed a couple times. It feels like every other week we're either talking about joy or we're talking about unity because Paul keeps bringing this to light. And so we've already hit unity, but I find it interesting that this letter is probably, this letter is written to the church of Philippi. It's probably going to be read in a similar setting where someone's going to get up and someone's going to read the letter to the church. But Paul finds mention to stop addressing the people of Philippi, the church as a whole. And he, he essentially calls out two women in the church, right? He says, I implore you uh, to, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Can you imagine the scene, right? If we did something like that here, like people would straight up walk out of this service because, because but, but understand the context. The context here is this was the church of Philippi. This was not the first church of Philippi, right? This was the first church of Philippi, but it wasn't the, the first church, and there's a second church. There. This was the church of Philippi. And so in this context, this was it. This was the followers of Jesus here. And so Paul had a, had a seriousness to address them because he was causing, they were causing division in the only church at Philippi. And in this context, there was not other churches to jump to. You couldn't jump sh ship in this awkward tension of conversation necessarily. This was not this. Uh, another side context is many cities, if you chose Christ, you were abandoned. You, were, you lost your job. You lost your income. You lost sometimes even your family. And so this was serious. Paul thought it serious to address this, and he wanted them to live in unity together. And his command is simple. Hey, ladies, be of the same mind in the Lord. Be of the same mind in the Lord because there were these people who were no longer walking in unity. And so Paul addresses it. But I want you to notice two interesting facts about these, the, this, this addressing that Paul says because uh, there, there was two neglections that caused them to be in disunity. Uh, and the first one is this. They forgot the history. They forgot the history. What's it say? It says, these women who labored with me together in the gospel. These women who labored with me in the gospel of Christ, that they once were laboring together with Paul in the gospel of Christ. It doesn't say this, but some have assumed that these ladies were probably present when Paul started the church. Paul knew them by name. And so Paul lists them by name, and he says, what are you doing? Like you, you, you've seen God work in so many different ways. You've seen God. Remember in Philippi, when this happened, I was in prison, I got out. Remember this demon-possessed girl, she was still. Remember all that God is doing. What are you doing? 
what they do? They forgot the history that God once worked in Philippi. And so now, now there are things that we're supposed to stand on, right? There are, there are things that we're supposed to stand up against, but, but the issues at hand were not issues that were supposed to create division. And so in a way, Paul says, what are you doing? You're neglecting the history. You forgot. You once labored with me together in the gospel, but now you're forgetting the very reason in which you've been saved. Now you're forgetting that the very person that you're at odds against is the very person that I've came to save too. And he says, get together. Be of the same mind in the Lord. They forgot the history. And so often we can too. Right? A lot of times, uh, we'll, we'll address this a little bit later, but a lot of times when we uh, when we get uh, in disunity and we get at odds with one another. It's selfishness that spews out of our lives. And if our focus was actually in our salvation, the history of what Christ has done for us and them and this world, then we'd probably live a little bit differently. And he says, don't forget the history. But then he says, secondly, he says don't for- that they lost focus because it says be of the same mind in the Lord. That they were, they were, I don't know, doesn't really say what the tension was in the room, but he, he specifically says it probably wasn't in the Lord because it's supposed to be, you're supposed to be with the same mind in the Lord. And so they lost the history, they neglected it, but they also lost the focus. Paul doesn't say, hey, figure out which one of you's right. Figure out, convince the other of the political uh, position that you think. No, 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 no. He says, be of the same mind in the Lord. That, that that should be centric to everything. And if Jesus, if we're the one mind in the Lord, if Jesus is the foundation of our focus, then we will live in unity with believers. If everybody's pushing forward for the gospel of Christ. And so these two women had forgotten the focus. What's the focus? Be the same mind in the Lord in all things. And they've forgotten that. Be of the same mind. I have an example. You have a couple examples this morning. This is a little bit more practical of a text, but let's just say we're in church together. Okay, what's the focus of church? Worship God, right? Worship God, uh, be equipped. But let's just say I brought another focus to church. And don't, don't hate me this morning, but let's just say uh, this is a Steelers jersey, if you don't know. I, I was in Pittsburgh for, for uh, five years, and someone bought me a Steelers jersey, okay? I don't have a Colts jersey. I'm not really diehard Steelers. Someone bought me a Steelers jersey, and so I brought a Steelers jersey. But let's just say, hey, our focus, and some of you already wrote me off, right? Some of you are about to walk out of the church. If you didn't say that a second ago, I'd be gone. No, uh, but some of us, uh, we will, the focus is supposed to be worship God, right? That's why we're here. But let's just say I brought another focus to church, right? And I'm just using church as an example because we're here. So let's just say that I'm trying to get you guys on my team. Focus is worship God, but I'm trying to get, to get you to, to put on this jersey, right? He has a cold shirt on. It worked out perfectly, right? Will you put this on? Seriously? All right, uh, so, so I'm trying, I'm trying, right? Put this on. I'm not going to. I don't want to mess up his hair or anything, but uh, I'm not. <laughs> this is working out better and better. Uh, I'm trying to get him, right? Put it on, put it on, put it on, put it on. So, so now there's, there's conflict. He's smiling, but there's conflict because he won't do what I asked him to do. And so I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to ask somebody else to put on the jersey, right? And so you don't actually have to, but he's going to act like he, he's going he's gonna to wear it. Right? And so, so now, now what just happened? Now the focus is, is to worship God, right? And, and although there's differences in the room, I've, I've, I've made my fanism, which wasn't actually there. I don't really care. Uh, but nonetheless, I made that the focus. And so now not, not necessarily are we, 
uh, at conflict, but we're at, we're at odds. There's differences, and the differences have been elevated past what the focus is actually supposed to be, right? And so now, instead, now he's Colts fan, we're over here, we're doing our thing, and now there's instantly division in the room, and the only reason there's really division in the room is because I changed the focus, because I shifted the focus. And that's what Paul's, in a silly way, that's what Paul's saying, you've shifted the focus, the focus was being of the same mind in the Lord, and you made it about yourself. You made it about differences in the room when the focus is supposed to be going and advancing the gospel around us. The focus is to be missional. The focus is to be the church that's united around, this, united around the Lord, but they're off focus. So they forgot the history. They lost the focus, and so there's, there's chaos. And the silly thing is we do that every, in so many different ways. We blame uh, disunity on personalities. We blame disunity on age or demographic or stages of life. But Paul gives no stage of life to these women. He gives no demographic to these women. He just says there's two people in the church who are living at odds with one another, and you're supposed to live in unity. It's like the church is, is a wheel. I don't have a wheel here, but it's like the church is a wheel, and, and we're the spokes on the wheel. Right, if I had a bike up here and, and there was no problems with the wheels, we would jump on and drive wherever or pedal wherever we're going to go. But if I had one up here too that I just picked off a couple spokes, you may not even notice. You may jump on it and drive it as well. But if I got up here and there was another one that was like there, it was clearly messed with, we clipped off some spokes, what will, what will happen? You wouldn't get on that because it's not going to be able to handle the weight in which it was created to handle. In the same way, the Bible says, hey, we need to be in unity. Paul says, you need to fix this because, because you're not going to be able to bear the weight that he's called the church to bear. You're not going to be able to move the way that I've intended for you to move. And so you need to be together. You need to be the same mind. Where? In the Lord. That the Lord needs to be the focus in all Things And so Paul says, address this. He says, fix this. Why? He's already told us, hey, Church of Philippi, persecution's coming your way, and so you need to be together. You need to, you need to be of the same mind in the Lord. Well, what mind? Well, 1 Corinthians 13. What's it say there? It says, it says this, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Like, we're supposed to be of the same mind in the Lord. So keep the focus. Remember the history. Yet, there's, there's another call in this passage that I love that so often we don't like to talk about in church because it's very difficult to live. Because there's a lot of people in this room like, okay, whew, doesn't matter. I'm a pretty easygoing person. Like, I don't really get in a lot of conflict. All my spokes in the church, they're together. Like, I'm going strong. Look, look what it also says because it also gives us a command that's an awkward practice, but we're not supposed to ignore it. It says, I urge you also, true companion. If you're a true companion in the Lord, help these women who labor together in the gospel with, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul says, if you're mature in your faith, you're actually called to help others live in unity. Isn't that so hard to do? It's like, it's their business. No, no, no. If we're the body of Christ, if we want the will to move how it's designed to move, we need, the Bible says, hey, Paul says, you need to help. 
You need to help bring unity in the church. If there's issues, you need, you need to, to help. Now, that's a very hard thing to do, and we don't have time to explain all of that because some help can turn to gossip real quick. Some help can turn into just like, I want to know all your business. But, but he says, in the Lord, if you're mature in the faith, if you're a true companion, you want to help keep the body in unity. You want to keep, help the body stay in unity. And in one way, he says, standing fast is not just your personal obligation to the word, although it is a personal obligation to the world, but true personal obligation to the, to the word of God means that you're going to help others live in unity too. That's what it says. And I'm going to strive to help others live in unity. That stand fast. I don't want to be swept away from spiritual conflict, but I also want to help. I don't want others to be swept away from personal conflict either because I want us all to be of the same mind in the Lord, striving together. How do we do that? Well, he tells us how. Verse 4, look what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Be gentle. Let your gentleness be known to all men, for the Lord is at hand, meaning the Lord is near. So how do we live with the same mind? How do we keep this unity? How do we push forward with peace? Rejoice in the Lord always. That rejoicing in the Lord always is actually a choice that we have to make to choose to rejoice. Because the Bible doesn't say rejoice always. That's an impossibility. It says rejoice in the Lord always, that there's always reason. You can find any reason to rejoice in the Lord. And it gives you a spoiler because it says the Lord's near. You want reason to rejoice in the Lord always? The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. The Lord is coming soon. And it should absolutely change how we live our lives. It's a choice. So do we choose it? Remember, when we come to church, Aislinn, my three-year-old, she loves coming to church. She gets brightened up when she comes to church. And so I don't drive with them to church uh, because I come a little earlier. But nonetheless, Tess tells me almost every time they come to church, she's like, we're going to church. And Ace is excited. She's thrilled. She's pumped up, go to kids' class, do her thing in there. But then Tess will say something else. Hey, Aislinn, when you go to church, you need to share and you need to obey and that does not spew as the same level of excitement. Aislinn is not the best at sharing. She gets it from her mom. But what can I say? No, I'm just kidding. But she's not in here, so I can say that. But um, I'm going to need somebody to come home with me. Uh, <laughs> right? See, that doesn't spew. But, but, we, but she knows if you don't obey, hey, there's going to be some sort of consequence when you get home. And, and so you need to obey. And so what we find is that there's rejoicing but a behavior that should follow it, that, that there's a behavior that should follow that rejoicing. And so Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, but, but that sounds like an impossibility. Paul, how can I rejoice in the Lord always? I don't always feel like rejoicing. How, how can I do that? Well, joy is an emotion. Rejoicing is the, uh, it, rejoicing rather is the verb for that noun. That, that rejoicing is actually a choice. Joy is an emotion, but rejoicing is actually a choice. So, so joy, joy is more of a feeling, but rejoicing is more of a response. And so we can choose to rejoice. That it doesn't always be, it doesn't always come natural, but he says, hey, you can choose to rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Keep your mind on the reality that the Lord is at hand. And so that should help you live. That should change how you live. That you're actually living in peace with men. Because he says, rejoice because the Lord is near. And that belief that the Lord is near should absolutely change how we behave. 
should change how we live, that the Lord is actually near, that he's coming again. And so uh, we see this. Someone once said, it's a privilege for Christians to be able to rejoice in the character and the promises of God. That's a privilege to be able to rejoice in the character and the promise of God. But if we struggle to find reason to rejoice in the Lord, we're probably looking in the wrong places. And so there's a choice to, to choose uh, to rejoice. But then secondly, he says this, there's a choice to also not only rejoice in the Lord, but to be gentle. That we actually have a choice to allow gentleness to flow through us. In, in modern days, we, we may say, be chill. <laughs> uh, just just kind of, uh, we may say, uh, be easy to get along with, is what we may say. Be, be gentle. Let gentleness flow through your life, that it should not be said of you that, that, that you're, uh, you're just so entitled and opinionated that, that you should, there should be a gentleness about you as a follower of Jesus, that, that we're strong in our faith, but we're gentle in our steps, that we want to walk after Christ. And so he says we should actually be gentle. In a way, he's saying if you believe that Jesus is actually near in your life, you should be free from, from drama. You should be free from entitlement, and you should walk with gentleness about you. If you really believe Jesus is coming again, it'll change some things. It'll change how you, how you live your life. Have you ever been um, a little child or, or some, you've, we've all been little children, but uh, have you ever been, uh, remember when your parents would go away and they would give you a task to do as they're gone, take out the trash, feed the dog, whatever it may be, but then as a child, time gets away from you, and all of a sudden the horror of the garage door opens, and time stands still, <laughs> right? And you're just rushing, you're rushing, you're rushing to get whatever was done on time. I have tons of stories I, I could share, but I'm not going to because I already have too many illustrations. But in a way, he's saying don't be caught off guard. Don't be caught off guard. Rejoice in the Lord. Choose to rejoice in the Lord always. Choose to be gentle. And if you actually believe the Lord is at hand, you should be ready to meet him every day of your life because of the way that you're living, because you're choosing to be rejoiced, because you're choosing to be gentle in all things. The second thing this morning is this. We should also try to live in peace, uh, live in the peace of prayer. We should live in peace together, but we should also try to live in the peace of prayer. Look at verse uh, six, it says this, be anxious for nothing, but in, but, by pray, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, that's the act of asking, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. That there is actually a, a call to live in the peace that prayer brings. Remember what Jesus says in John 14, Verse 27, he says, peace I leave to you, peace I live with you, and, and my, my peace I give to you. Not the peace as the world gives, so let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That there's actually peace that surpasses understanding found in the comfort of God. And we have access to that through the power of prayer. So live in that light. You know, a lot of times we, we, everybody wants peace. Oftentimes the peace that we say we want is more so prosperity and freedom, and not the peace of God, right? You can have peace simply by two countries not having war against each other. We can say that's peace. There can be peace by us just reaching financial agreements or us reaching an agreement of some sort. 
there can be peace, but oftentimes the peace we think of is dependent upon our circumstances, right? That's, that's the peace. We have peace when things are going well. How's your life? Well, if it's going well, my life is peaceful. There's really not a lot going on. Peace of God is different. Peace of God is submission. Peace of God is dependence upon God. Peace within ourselves, man, that's as long as things are going okay. So, so we live in, a, we live in a, a day when peace is seasonal. But with God, peace is supposed to be supernatural. And so there's, there can be peace. How do you access it? Through prayer. We access through peace through praying to God because God is a God of supernatural. But it's interesting here that, that he links the heart and the brain together. Paul does when he says, um, let me find where he says it. He says, uh, when you do this, he will guard your heart and your minds through Christ Jesus. It's interesting that he links these two together because today science will tell you that there's a nerve, I, can't, I should have wrote down what the nerve was called, that links your brain to your heart, that there's a connection there. And the same principle, Paul's saying, don't allow your, yourself to be overcome by the emotions that will affect your heart and your mind and everything together, but, but choose through prayer and supplication, choose to, to let God take control, let him take the reins. He, he, he already, he, he shows us this reality. But, but the question is how? Because peace sounds good, but what Paul's saying sounds like an impossibility. How can I have peace when my life's not peaceful? How can I have peace when things don't go my way? Well, peace doesn't, doesn't just happen. There may be a peace of eternal security. But peace does not just happen because this peace is conditional. That God's love for us is unconditional, but the peace has some conditions, and he chose us. He says, be not anxious. Don't allow your thoughts to consume your heart and your mind, but through prayer and through some thanksgiving, allow God to guide you, allow God to control you, allow God to handle those things. There's a condition that we just don't get to walk around our life just happy glory and just do whatever we want and just know that God's going to do what God's going to do. But we should actually submit to him and have the, if we want the peace of God, we need to have access to God. We need to live in the access of God. There's peace found through prayer. But that still sounds like a possibility, right? Interestingly, the word for anxiousness is the Greek word, I, I'm going to butcher it, but maroneno or something like that. It's found two times in Philippians. This time it's found as a negative, right? Be not anxious. But in chapter two, it's talked about Timothy and it's used as a positive when he says this about Timothy. Um, where is that? He says this, I have, no one else who is, I have no one else like him who will have genuine concern, there's that word, for your welfare. That, that actually the word is not bad. Where you put the focus is what's the key. The word in itself is not bad. It's interesting that, that we find that we translate selfish, self-focus as anxious, but we translate spiritual focus as concern. Because Paul ha Timothy had a, had a genuine spiritual concern for the people of Philippi. That's a good thing. That's a good job. And, Paul, and Timothy's credited. He's actually going to be sent because he has a genuine concern. But when it's self-focused, it's anxious. And the reality is Paul is, sim or Paul is simply saying, don't be consumed with things that are outside of your hands. Give it to God. Allow God to control them because there's peace in allowing God to guide your life. And Paul says, don't live in worry. Learn to pray. 
Don't live in worry. Learn to, learn to pray. Learn to soak up God in, in prayer is what we're called to do. You know what the number one category of apps were downloaded in 2020? The chaos of 2020. Number one downloaded category. It was not social media apps, although we had a lot of time on our hands. It was not shopping apps, although we had some stimulus checks to play with. Well, it was self-care apps. That when there was stress and there was worry, people valued self-care. When depression was high, people valued these things. And what's he say? By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. That when we're apt to worry and to be concerned, that we're actually called to shift focus back to God and focus there. And, and this was written 2,000 years ago. There was a guy ordained by God to write instruction to us, and he shows us the focus of what so many people dealt with in, in the year of 2020 and what so many people deal with today, worry and stress and anxiety and fear. And he says, here's what you do. You live in the peace of prayer. You live in the peace of prayer that surpasses all understanding. That's the key. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. But the key is peace. To have the peace found through Christ. That's the key. Through Christ. You want peace? It's found through Christ. So do we have a focus on Christ? Do you know Christ today? Has there been a time when you've accepted Christ today, where you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ was, is, and still is, that he died, he rose from the grave, and, and he's ascended up into heaven? And he says, if anyone believes in me, he can be saved. Do you know him? There's peace, and you can have peace through the power of prayer, but it's only through Christ. Do you know him? We find it's through prayer, but then the last thing we see here is this, that we find, thirdly, living in the peace of truth. So living in the peace together, living in the peace of prayer, but then living in the peace of truth. Verse 8 says this, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any pray, anything praiseworthy, meditate, or there's, a, there's a, another tra other translation says think, but I love that word, meditate on these things. And the things which you learn and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the peace of God will be with you. That there's peace in truth. There's peace in meditating on things that are actually truth, that we can actually believe. We spend so much of our life focusing on what's outside of us and what's around us. Even this morning, we spent so much time getting ready, and I'm glad you did. We spent so much time preparing. Hopefully, we had a little bit extra time with, with the time. I woke up at 5 o'clock today, and I was so mad uh, because my body was trained to get up at 6. And that never I never thought I'd ever say that in my entire life. I love sleeping in so much. But nonetheless, like, you had some time. We, we spent, and we should. We spend time on our 401Ks, and, our, and we should do all of those things. But Paul addressed is something that we should spend significant time on and what should absolutely change the way that we live outside is when we spend a lot of time focusing on what goes inside, the med what we're actually meditating on, what we're actually living for. And so he gives us eight practices to meditate on, to chew on what's within us. He says meditate on what's true. Meditate on truth. Psalm 119, 97 says, Oh, how I love thy law. It's my meditation all the day. 
When's the last time you just meditated on the Word of God? You just chewed on God's Word continually all day. Well, that was the meditation. A lot of times, uh, there's a lot of things on our minds. Works on our minds, jobs on our mind, kids on our mind, worries on our mind, vacations on our mind, uh, finances on our mind. But when's the last time you just meditated on the Word of God? When you allow that to consume your mind. He says, focus on what is truth. And believers should live in that. What's it, John 17? Uh, Thy word is truth. That we, could, we should meditate on word. You know what else is truth? Is that the Bible says the devil's a, a deceiver. He's the great tempter. And the devil wants to do nothing more than to plant falsehoods in your life. And the truth is to not buy in. Don't buy in. But meditate on the truth of what you No, and if you actually meditate on what's not true, it'll take you away from the peace of God that God calls you to. And so meditate on truth. Then he says this, meditate on what's noble or what's honorable. This gives reference to what's worthy of respect, that that if we're a child of God, uh, our thoughts should be filled with things that actually bring honor and, and allow that it's actually honorable for us to do. And so meditate on what is, is honorable, what is noble. And then he says, thirdly, meditate on what's just, what's morally right, what's morally fair. He says, uh, meditate on uh, those things. It speaks of, of even doing right by others. A few months ago, we looked at that we should uh, think more of others and think of others more. And it gives that reality that we should, we should be just. We should actually let go of bitterness and let go of contentment and pride in our lives and actually do things that are, that are just, that, that are honorable, that are just. And then he speaks on, fourthly, meditate on what's pure. This word pure would be the word uh, that we would say what's uncontaminable. And so we should meditate on what, what's, pu- what's pure. It speaks of motives and actions, that we should have the purest of intentions in all things. We don't have to go very far to find a world that's full of impurities. And, and he says, Here, here's what's best. Don't get distracted by the impurities around, around you. Focus on, what you. focus on what you know is pure. Focus and live there. Psalm 101 says it this way, I will set no wicked things before mine eyes. And so I'm going to dwell, I'm going to focus on what is, what is pure. And then he says, fifthly, meditate on the lovely, the pleasant, that you actually will have no ugly thoughts, <laughs> that you'll actually uh, choose uh, to, to live in that light. It means that, that you'll have, you have pleasant thoughts, that no matter the world around you, you can actually dwell on the goodness that, that, that is around you. That there's chaos, sure, but, but even creation itself you can dwell on and you can receive pleasant thoughts because it's a picture of God, because it's a beauty, beautiful creation of God so that no matter what takes place, we can dwell, we can live in pleasant thoughts. And then he says, three more, meditate on a good report. What's commendable? Is it worth me dwelling on? Is it worth me focusing? Is it commendable in all things? I always think of it this way. Is this thing worth me consuming time that God has given me to be consumed with? Is it worth my time that God has allotted me to live here? And when we think of things in that light, we won't be, we won't be as apt to, to be filled with gossip and rumors and, and pride and things of that nature because is it really worth our time? That God has allowed us to, to endure this life. And so think on things that are commendable. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. But that is for the use of edifying. And so is it commendable? And then he says meditate on virtue. That's moral goodness. And meditate on praise. Does it give glory to God? 
And so you wanna live a life of peace. Here's how you meditate on some things, that we should live in peace together, rejoice in the Lord. We should choose it. We should choose to be gentle. We should live a life of peace and prayer, be not filled with anxiousness, but, but be dedicated to prayer. And then we should meditate. We should live in, in the truth that we know. And Paul says, I'm in prison, but I'm choosing to live right here in all things. You know, sometimes our minds are like a filing cabinet, right? Put things in and we pull things out. That's what we do. And so often the things that consume us are the very things that we put in, the very things that we focus on. And so Paul's saying, what you put in, is that what you're gonna, cons- that you're gonna take it out? And so, so it's fix your mind on, on positive things. But so often we live our life consumed with self, right? And we pull out the self all the time. And so when we get into the self, man, there's anxiety. So we're anxious. We're filled with anxiousness. I don't know, I don't know about this test. I don't know what's going to take place. I don't know if he, does he actually like me? Does, is this going to go well? Am I going to get fired? We live in this anxiousness because, because we're self-focused, right? And then we pull another one. Is, am I okay? <laughs> right? So often that's, that's a question that people have to ask in our society. The older crowd's like, what are you talking about? But that's a reality. Am I okay? Am I doing okay? Do we, we live in a, in a, a we want approval culture, and, and we want to be approved, we want to be affirmed and everything, and so we're asking those questions. It's all about me, am I okay? And so it's all about self. It's what we're putting in. I'm so consumed with, with social media and different things of that nature, and I'm so consumed with my self-image and my looks that, that my, my question's self-consumed. Am I okay? Is it about me? And then we're, we're focused on politics and, and finances, right? Or, uh, what's going to happen with the election? Is this going to be going on? And is, 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 is gas going to keep rising? Is someone going to save America? Is someone not going to? Is this uh, what's happening in Ukraine? What? And we can be wrapped up in all that because that's what we're putting in, in all things. We can be wrapped up in self. And so in a way, Paul says, hey, don't even, don't, even, don't even put it in. You need to, in a way, you need to disregard it and you need to take out peace. And in peace, I'm not gonna go through it because I just did, is there's a lot of things we can dwell on in peace because there's a lot of things that the Bible tells us. There's eight practices that we can practice that we can put in. And so when things happen, we can dwell on truth because I know his word is true and so I can dwell on that truth. We can dwell on what's noble, we can dwell on what's right. I cannot give in to bitterness because I know that's not right. We can dwell on what's pure. I'm not going to go there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay pure. I know one out of five internet searches these days are statistically are, is explicit images, but I'm going to avoid it. I'm going to keep my mind. I'm going to dedicate my mind to that which is pure. I'm not even going to put it in there. I'm not even going to entertain it. I'm going to focus on what's lovely. You know what's lovely? The gospel's lovely. I'm going to focus on the gospel. I'm going to live in that light in all things. So it gives us eight practices that we can actually put in so we can pull out. And so what are you putting in? What are you storing up? What are you meditating on this morning? Are you meditating on God's word? Are you meditating on the news? <laughs> you meditating on God's word this morning? He says meditate. You, you, remember the context. There was disunity in the church. Two women at odds. He says, hey, you need to get together, keep the folks in the Lord, church, you need to help them. 
You need to get back in unity and let me help you. Here's how you keep it. Here's how you keep that one mind of the Lord. You meditate on things that are true, on things that are noble, on things that are lovely. In the list of eight, that's where you live. And so may we live in that this week. We're gonna take just a couple minutes this morning and, and in a way meditate on within, on what Christ has done for us. And so if you have your communion cup, you can go ahead and pull that out.